Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com you are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Hulk and Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Oh, Seventh. Okay. That title suggested by Michael Howlin on Twitter. Runner up, there's a theme here Simon Gray, Nico. Stroll is behind you. Please make an unnecessary third stop. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Good evening, Matt. Good afternoon there, Spanners, which is what it is over here, of course, but I take your point. Another fun race to talk about today. Oh, man, like, I realised, like, there was no retirement till right near the end. There was no incidents. Like, there's, there's only one tenuous whose fault is this, but... Uh, the whole race as a whole and how it unfolded and how it was going to go down from a strategic point of view was a genuinely fascinating race and and actually has big implications for the rest of the season as well. Yeah, it does, uh, especially if your name is Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> uh, we'll get to all of that, um, uh, And I, for the first time in a long, long time, actually, I missed all the race buildup. Like, I didn't watch any practice sessions. I only listened to qualifying whilst I was doing family stuff. And um, it made the weekend very different. Like, I, I realized how much I love all that build-up. People say, oh, FP1's unnecessary. Um, you don't need to watch all those sessions. But without it, and without even watching qualifying, it got to the race, and suddenly I felt kind of, like, unprepared. It's like, oh, I'm not hyped up enough. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And so I vowed never to do that again until I'm specifically told by my wife to. Uh, that seems like a reasonable and prudent plan. But I, I, I must say somewhere there is a Sky producer whose heart just grew <laughs> several sizes larger hearing you say that. Well, you know, yeah, whoever's covering it, Sky, Channel 4, maybe even the BBC again one day. Uh, but yeah, that build up is so necessary to get your heart pumping and understand the stories, I think, um, around the weekend. If it wasn't for you guys, 
I would have missed a lot of context. Obviously, I follow the WhatsApp chat, WhatsApp chat and stuff like that. And you guys are monitoring FP2 sessions and feeding me who's got race pace and who hasn't. But without that buildup, you do lose a lot of information. Yeah. And there's a lot. It's easy to forget when you follow the sport and now we do a show about it. So you're always kind of on, but it's easy to forget how much you need to know just to begin to really be able to appreciate it. And the the thing you said last week is absolutely true. This week, more than ever, get the live timing. If you have the live timing, today's race really, really came to life. And I can imagine there were certain points if I didn't have it where you'd go, ah, race has kind of gone to sleep. Whereas I don't think this race went to sleep at all at any point. No, there there was no respite for any of the strategists or the drivers in this one. It was uh, beginning to end action. So I'm going to give some opinions up front. And I know my expert panel are going to disagree with me on on them. But I'm just going to run down this list. (laughs) But I'm just going to run down this list just so you know, listeners, how enraged you need to be with me for the rest of the show until we get to that part of the show. So I'm going to posit that Lewis Hamilton went away a very happy man today. I'm going to say Max Verstappen was incredible. And I'm going to say that not many other people could have won in that Red Bull today. I'm going to say, and this is going to upset people, this next one, Albon got way too much credit for that performance. I'm going to say Vettel, no way is he in the same machinery as Charles Leclerc. He is in like the spare T-car or something, or they've just sneaked in a a Haas and painted it red. I'm going to say that Stroll spanked Hulkenberg. I'm only kidding. Uh, But I'm also going to say that Racing Point are innocent. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by our expert race driver guy sitting in his Simpod now. It's Bradley Philpot. Good evening. I'm making a habit of this. Been on quite a few shows recently, so thanks for having me back. Oh, no, it's brilliant having you here, uh, having Van Jean and Kyle as well, and getting the input of some racers too. And I probably disagree and argue with you, Brad, uh, uh, second only to Matt Trumpets, not just on, not just on like uh, racing, but like in life in general. You and I have had the most headbutts uh, within our kind of pod group, uh, but. The listeners are loving you. You keep getting tons of good YouTube comments. You have to share with me your secret because I only get ones that call me like a living, breathing smegma of a foot. You and I do have some some reasonably <laughs> heated debates, but I think they're also the most productive ones because we're both very opinionated and we're both normally <laughs> right, especially once you come around to my way of thinking. That, the, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did hear you once say that someone shouldn't be annoyed with you, they should be grateful because you're telling them the right answer. I, but I, I might be misremembering that. I might be misquoting. We're also joined by the very bearded Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Yeah, very well, thank you. Absolutely melting for the pleasure of this podcast because I have my window shut to well, keep out the road noise. So I am boiling in my Mist Apex top. But your your beard is like the equivalent of wearing a bear on your face. No wonder you're hot. It's great for winter, not so good for summer, but it's brilliant for multi-stop strategy Formula 1 races because you can nervously tweak it. Oh, nice. I like that. It does make you look like a sinister supervillain, though. So you've got to take that on the chin. And that, guys, is your panel. (laughs) 
Okay, so I do want to get along to some of the race stuff, which means that I'm going to push forward some of the news items, so push them back towards the back of the show. But we absolutely will address the fact that there was a, a Renault protest that was somewhat upheld and the other teams are now deciding to push forward. So we will go into that towards the end of the show. Of course, Perez testing positive and those implications as well. Uh, and uh, we'll discuss some of the qualifying stuff as people uh, come up in in general race conversation. Uh, but let's start with the qualifying performance. Let's go to, to Brad. Let's go to the qualifying performance uh, of Nico Hulkenberg, only because you were super, super active on Twitter, where you basically said... Stroll should go to prison for his lack of talent. I hate rich people. Eat the rich. That's what that's what you said on Twitter. I don't think that's quite what I said. But what I certainly did say was that I was really happy to see Hulkenberg come in. And after a, a week to process his little running he got at the British Grand Prix, actually put that to work and, and have a really good session that was a bit more reflective of his skill level. Um, and, and he outqualified Stroll by several tenths, I believe. And like I said, it was just nice to see him actually do the job that I think he'd be a bit more satisfied with. Okay, so, I mean, we could talk in depth a little bit about where we rate Nico Hulkenberg's skill level. I think he's incredibly talented, like a genuine top-tier driver. You know, maybe not that very top echelon that legends are made of, uh, but he had got himself into a kind of a journeyman driver role. So he's not spectacular. It's not like, you know, a phenomenon has come in, Kyle, and, and, like, and just waltzed it back into F1. He is a, a good, hardworking, fast, workmanlike driver who's got into a, a car and six practice sessions only, he is now like comfortably the faster of those two. Yeah, I think it's an incredible performance of being out of the sport for that amount of time. He himself admitted that his body had a shock and he was struggling <laughs> with the G-forces. It just goes to show what sort of level of your game you have to be at to do Formula One. And he's jumped straight in and done an amazingly solid job. It's an unf- Yes, he's driven for that team before, but it's an unfamiliar car. The amount of systems, the protocols to go through, like even start procedure mm. is really hard to try and learn. And he's got his head around all of that and he hasn't seen any sort of faffs from him or kerfuffles of him getting the procedures wrong everything's just been unbelievably solid matt as they were sitting as they were sitting on the grid waiting to start you could hear on the radio hulkenberg's engineer saying and now remember when you get to turn 10 that's when you need to go to strat mode one to get out of the other mode that you were supposed to put it like he was going over these procedures as he was sat on the grid about to roll off on the formation lap and i was just like (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, the possibilities for something going horribly wrong. They're kind of high, aren't they? Yeah, um, but disappointingly for you, I think all we had was maybe a slightly suboptimal getaway, um, which overall is pretty impressive. Um, so let's go on to the race. This is where we turn to you, Matt Trumpets, to tell us where the race was won and lost. And uh, fair warning, trigger warning, there's going to be a, a tyre element to it. I'll do my best to keep it light before we go into, like, laminar polymers or anything like that. We, we, you know, let's keep it to just how it affected the the um, the the tactics and the strategy of the race, Matt. Obviously, the tyres played a crucial part. So I'll leave it to you to tell us how the race was won and lost. Well, I know it's going to be hard for you. Yeah. <laughs> to okay. accept this, me talking about tires. But that's really where we have to start because in Quali 2 yesterday, in the second session of qualifying, of all the people to show up, Max Verstappen on the hards was the only one who tried to get through 
one run on those tires, uh, I believe, and he made it through, which meant he got to start on the hard tires. And what surprises me about this is why neither Mercedes driver gave it a try. I mean, after all, if it didn't work, you could still put on the mediums and go out and do your original strategy never seemed to occur to them to give it a go. But do you think there's like a mental block because because they'd gone softer, um, because it was not the ultra hard? Do you know what I mean? Like normally yeah. it, it makes sense that there's the, the quality tire that you want to go on and then there's one up. But because it was like the hardest tire, there was like a mental block. Uh, Kyle, jump in on that, mate. Yeah, uh, with that, I think Red Bull in the funny position of only having one driver that they can they know they can count on 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 Saturday to get it right, they could roll a dice. I think Mercedes was slightly hamstrung with having two drivers that are going for the title and they have to be seen to be entirely fair. So they may have not wanted to give one of them the chance to do that strategy or put both of them on on it because it was too much of a risk. So they just played it safe. So I think they kind of hamstrung themselves there. Well, I think they were just confused by the language. The tire that Max was on for his qualifying was last week's medium tire, which both Mercedes qualified on just fine, thank you very much. And they would have known those soft tires were useless. They didn't really have more, much more speed in them than the mediums did. And the hards were almost as fast. So I, I given the amount of data they would have had on that tire, uh, I'm really surprised that it didn't, that no one thought to say, hey, you know, looking at the temperatures, maybe we should go out on the hards instead of the mediums. Yeah, Kyle, I think I think you might have touched on something there with the way they can treat their drivers and the risks that lets them take. It's also a sign that they are perhaps a team that is not looking at a championship. In fact, that's probably not controversial. At this point, they're probably not looking at being the constructors champion or having the world drivers champion. So they can afford to when they when they see an opportunity to disrupt they can disrupt tax-free, risk-free. Yeah, they're the, they're the guys behind who can roll the dice and take a, a gamble and a risk strategy because for all they're concerned at the moment, they don't have anything to lose. They've, they've, they have started the season disappointingly, so they will take risks wherever they can to try and go for glory on that one or two shots. I, I yeah. don't think they genuinely think they have a championship shot. So, so like Matt, I mean, if let's say that going on hards would have worked uh, a third of the time. And it would have put you in a great position a third of the time and only if the temperatures soared on race day. So it's a low probability gamble. So I'm not really willing to jump down Mercedes' throats and say, well, you should have put the hards on as well. No, I understand where you're coming from to an extent. But really, there were only two compounds of tire to use this week, the medium and the hard. Yeah. And if your strategy is I want to go on the more durable tire at the start because that's better... And you don't go on the hard with the medium playing the role of the only other usable tire, then then you're not employing the strategy you thought you were. I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it would have helped them in the actual race because as we will go on to see, it's not like they did a great job on any particular tire today at all. No. And so let's go to the actual race start itself. Uh, loads of people obviously wishing Nico Hulkenberg well. And I, I don't begrudge that uh, at all. I'm just not particularly a Nico Hulkenberg fan. There, there seems to be this this kind of general feeling that he is somehow he's owed a podium. You know, F1 owes him a podium and he, he never got it. Well, you know, he didn't get one because he was never into the in the position to get one where he capitalised and his best positions, he did make mistakes and, you know, threw them away in Baku and in, in Germany and, you know, because driving a race car is really hard. He's not owed a podium, but people were getting super, super excited about the prospect. 
I explained to you last week he made a deal with the devil. He would be a handsome, rich racing driver, but would never get a podium. And uh, almost instantly, <laughs> off the line, a slightly slow start, and Verstappen gets in ahead of him. So that sets us up nicely, Matt. We've got our real... I'm, a, I'm imagining your one and lost is going to come down to basically Max Verstappen versus the Mercedeses. Uh, it's actually more like Mercedes versus higher tire pressures. <laughs> okay, but okay. Yes, you were close. Yes, you were close. No, I mean, that is what the race came down to. It came down to Max's tire strategy versus Mercedes' tire strategy. And what immediately strikes you is that on lap six, Valdery Botas got a call from his engineer telling him he was yeah. already critical with his left front and left rear tire. Lap six. Now, part of that is the tire pressures were sent higher by Pirelli in order to prevent what happened last week happening this week. Mm. And we did see some people run one stoppers, so they were not necessarily wrong to do that. But it does seem to have really affected Mercedes much more than it affected Red Bull. The other thing being, of course, the track was even hotter this week than last week. Now, I just wanted to make a very brief point, and I'm not going to get into tire structure and that kind of thing. But for anyone listening who might be thinking, hang on, if there were problems with the tires last week, and you're saying that the reason Mercedes had particular tire problems this week was that they've Pirelli have increased the pressures, surely they've made things worse. And I just wanted to obviously clarify that the, the surface of the tire erupting into blisters is a different thing to the structural failures that we saw last week. So the higher pressures make the tire not fail at the sidewall, Right. Um, but it will cause you grip problems when the surface of the tyre gets torn away into blisters. So a higher pressure means that the tyre is standing upright, so there's less strain on the, the side of the tyre, right? So what does... Uh, Matt, let's get Brad to just explain briefly, because it's going to come up a lot. You know, what is a blister and how does it affect the car? It, does it give you a risk of it? It's not a risk of exploding. No, it's not. It's really just the, the surface level of, of the rubber, the, the rubber that is touching the tarmac or the asphalt kind of erupting where it's getting too hot. And it's almost like the surface is boiling the tires. And it means you don't have a uniform, smooth, flat surface touching the, the track surface, which means less contact patch, less grip. But it's not a structural problem like the, the materials which make up the sidewall of the tire failing through being bent different directions too often, which is what a soft, uh, you know, mm. a lower pressure would do, allowing the tire to flex too much and eventually giving way. Um, so it's a grip problem rather than uh, a safety problem. And here's where it gets really interesting. Now, you have taken me out of my order of points a little bit. Sorry. You have taken me out of my order of points a little bit, and that's okay. Uh, I was going to talk about the battle between Hamilton and Bottas at the start, perhaps putting undue stress on Mercedes yeah. for their first stint. But I love that Brad brought this up because one byproduct of higher pressures is that the teams will have had to adjust their suspension in order to account for the harder tires. And we learned post-race in Alvin's interview that Red Bull run a very soft suspension which is a byproduct of their high-rake aerodynamic attitude, whereas Mercedes requires a very stiff aerodynamic platform, okay. which, which meant that they may have been in a place where, in order to adjust fully for the tires, they were losing some of the aerodynamics that normally help them do a better job managing degradation on the tires. So they may have been in a place where they had to compromise something they normally don't. Okay, so this is like this is genuinely dangerous for Mercedes then, because 
uh, we haven't decided, have we? Or I will say we. I'll take credit. Me and me and Pirelli haven't got together and decided the tire allocation yet uh, for the rest of the season, and they only get announced beforehand. Well, now we've got a clear picture. Then the Red Bull can handle softer tires because of the changes they can make. Mercedes can't so much. And we all remember 2013, where realistically, Mercedes kind of, for a moment, for a brief moment, they kind of had a shot until the the tyres had to revert uh, back to 2012s, I think, and with harder sidewalls. And that suited Red Bull again. Matt, could we be looking at like genuine hope for people who who only tune in to see Mercedes finally fail? No, not oh, really. Uh, for the following reason: first of all, the tire uh, the tire compounds have been announced. Uh, I don't know how many races in advance, but certainly, certainly more than one or two. I think yeah. at least the first half of the season's already been announced. The allocation in terms of soft, mediums, and hards are set by Pirelli. But I think really what caught Mercedes out was a combination of the pressures and the temperature, and that is something that you're probably not. You might you might see it at Spa. Yeah, if it's a hot day at Spa. Um, but for example, next week's race in Spain, uh, doesn't put the same kind of energy through the tire. So it's unlikely to see those high pressures or pressures that high again, though they'll probably be higher than last year's based on the learnings they had at Silverstone. Hooray. I mean, oh, I I don't mind who wins. Uh, right. Anyway, uh, the chat room are telling us that the tire allocations are decided up to Russia. So the first eight races of the season. And that is why we have a live chat room. They're absolutely brilliant. You can join that live chat room by searching for Missed Apex Podcast. Um, Lots of people get in touch um, and ask when the stream is going to start. UK, 8 p.m. UK time, unless the races are a lot later, like in Mexico and Brazil, for example. Apart from that, it's pretty much 8 p.m. UK time. Come and tune in uh, on YouTube. Search for Missed Apex Podcast. And we'll be here chatting about something, even during the off-season. All right, Matt, uh, continue then with where the race was won and lost. So where are we? We are, uh, we're on lap six. The Mercedeses are already feeling that tyre pressure, a front left and uh, rear right as well. And, uh, and Verstappen is actually, he's looking pretty comfortable behind the two Mercedes. Yeah, he's just cruising behind them. And, and this brings me to the third thing about the start that was probably crucial is... You may remember, because I believe you were occasionally rumored to have a slight inclination to support Lewis Hamilton. Well, hang on a minute. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I I, I don't (laughs) want to accuse you of outright bias here. No. You may have some some tentacles in that direction, I suppose. Uh, Hamilton was all over Botas from the beginning of the race. He was within a second. He kept the pressure up lap after lap after lap. And it just could be that Mm. on full tanks being run in anger, and let's consider Mercedes practice. What did they run in free practice one? Nothing but soft tires, as far as I know. Maybe they ran one hard and one medium in free practice two. Mm. And, And really, they were saving the mediums up for qualifying and the hards up for the races. So they might not, just might not have gotten a really good read on what was going to happen with these tire compounds. And I love that. Hey, tell you what, Carl, though, that, that first exchange, we expect Hamilton to go hard at Bottas whenever he's behind. It was a nice little defense in Luffield. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Uh, he knew exactly where to put the car. He just parked it on the apex. And and he did do a bit of a park. They alluded to it in the commentary. Just yeah. wait that slight split second to it to accelerate Hamilton knew it was coming as well and that just got him um and that just got in the bump but it just goes to show how 
how hard they go, they're going to fight each other. I bet the team hated watching that. But if Hamilton was going to get past, it had to be on that one. Otherwise, with the dirty air and with the state, the state of the tyres, that was just one and only shot and he knew it and Bottas blocked it beautifully. How How is that scene, Brad, amongst racing drivers? Because I've always got that temptation when I've got a faster guy behind me. You you break into the corner, you, you just you lift a little bit, a bit of trail braking, let the front tyres work their way into the apex, and then you've got that moment where you're transferring to go, right, I, I need to get the power on now. Who's to say? Who's to say if I wait two, three-tenths before I plant my right foot down? How's that scene in the racing driver world? I'd say that scene is a totally legitimate defence method. Um, the fact that you've got the high ground and you've got yeah. your car in the position on the track that um, that gives you the opportunity to kind of get in the way of the guy behind or delay his throttle application, that is that is exactly what you're supposed to do. So you're doing the right <laughs> things, Bernard. Uh, okay, so th- is there, is, there's got to be a point, though, where like obviously you wouldn't expect to break. That would be driving unnaturally. I, I guess there's uh, a sense among racing drivers that that kind of half a heartbeat of a, of a delay is kind of acceptable, but you wouldn't want to just lift and cruise to a stop and, and have the guy behind hit you. So there's a natural point where the guy behind will be able to just take a different line and drive yeah. past you if you've overslowed. Um, and also, I'd say probably the the limit that I would consider acceptable as the attacking driver is when I'm forced to break again. If the guy in front is stopping it on the apex and they're just lifting and you just have to continue slowing down a bit longer. That's different to them then breaking again and you having to, it's a bit like in the pits when, you know, it's kind of, it's okay if someone comes out closely in front of you, if you haven't had to take avoiding action, but if you then have to break to avoid hitting them, then that kind of crosses over into what's not really on. No. And what Lewis had to do was lift basically and, and delay. He thought he was going to be able to get on the power and he couldn't. And now we give Bottas a fair amount of stick for not being aggressive enough in defense that was pretty aggressive, Brad. So, you know, that is a, a tick to the, the Bottas column. Yeah, it's nice to see that he didn't just get mm. immediately passed at the start or anything like that. What happened was basically what you've alluded to in the past, which is that Hamilton will be a little bit more aggressive in harrying the leading car if he's mm. in that second position, rather than just immediately sitting back and accepting the second position and waiting for the strategy to play out, which is what Bottas historically does. And to be fair, the uh, Matt, I mean, in the context of where the race was won and lost, now he did eventually do that. You saw Hamilton getting out of that DRS zone, staying about two seconds behind, and it didn't actually look like Hamilton had teeth to do anything, uh, you know. And then, and then Verstappen is kind of rudely interrupting the the story. Yeah, well, this is the third part of the start that is interesting because Red Bull naturally. The engineer is like, okay, Max, we've got Mercedes within yeah. a second and a half. <laughs> we would like for you to chill and make your tires last so that you can use them when we want you to use them. And Max replies, I'm not going to sit here and drive like a grandma. Apologies to grandmas who are fast because I know they're out there. Uh, Shirley Muldowney amongst them. And he said, I've never, I've got Mercedes in my sight. I am going after them. And it turned out to be the best call that Red Bull made all day long because putting that pressure on Mercedes yeah. probably forced them to pit earlier than they would have liked to. So if, if if Verstappen doesn't do that, if he does what the team says, then the two Mercedes car cars can, can really go line astern out front without a worry in the world and extend both their stint lengths. And, you know, uh, Verstappen was only eight seconds ahead at the end. It, it's very possible that that's the kind of margins we're talking about here. So it was an incredible call 
um, by Max Verstappen. And I, I think that, you know, we've been watching Verstappen. To start with, we thought he was a bit, you know, he was a bit off, 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 uh, you know, a little bit crazy, as a lot of young drivers are, you know, whacking into the back of, who was it he hit? Was it Kvyat in Malaysia, where he just collected him in that, no, in China, uh, on that final hairpin. But we're watching him grow. We know he's got the talent. We know he's got the speed. But I'll tell you what, Carl, from a racing point of view, it's, it's times like this where he goes, no, I'm just going for it. I'm going to do it. And he's got the pace to back, to back it up. And he's got the racing skill to back it up. Um, it's starting to it's starting to look ominous. Like he's not even in his final form yet, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah, he's, a, he's incredible. Um, ignoring the team and saying, I think I know what's best is all very well and good when it works out best, <laughs> yeah. which it kind of has. But there's going to come a point in time when maybe he, you know, this is reminding me of Vettel a couple of years ago when he was pretty much calling the strategy shots from inside the car. Yeah. And more often than not, he got it right. But for Stappen, he's saying, no, I know better. Yes, all good today because it worked out okay. But there will be some times in the future where the team are telling you to, yeah. to drop back for good reason. So you could argue it was petulant, but today it was great to see in that fighty. And you could argue that, yes, it pushed the Mercedes harder. So he was actually right this time. And it's worth pointing out that we've seen certain other drivers for certain other teams, Hamilton, Mercedes, make those exact same arguments. My tires are good now. I should go after the person in front of me. If I wait, the best of them will be gone. In any event, it was it was a lovely thing, and it sure made the start of the race quite exciting. Uh, yeah, and well, ultimately, it made it made more than that exciting. It made the whole it made the whole race exciting because you know Max Verstappen picked that car up and. And took it for a win, and I, I just don't think, uh, I don't think there's that many drivers on the grid who would have made that happen uh, in that particular set of circumstances. You know how much I, you know, I think Hamilton is the is is the greatest driver of his generation. Would would Hamilton necessarily have made that call, you know, or does he think about tire management a bit more? You know, today, not only did Max Verstappen make that call, manage the tires well in combination with Red Bull and all the other factors that you've said there, Matt, but. I, I'm, I'm just not sure that there's many other drivers who would have put that all together. And I, I think this is his most impressive drive. Other people might point to great overtakes or coming in through the field, uh, coming up through the field. But I, I think this is his most impressive drive. This is the kind of drive the champions can can pick a car up and go, I'm going to take all 25 points today. I don't know if anyone thinks that I'm exaggerating. No, hmm. I don't think you're exaggerating. Okay. Well, good. Well, that's boring. All right. Don't worry, guys. Sorry. There'll be a plenty of things to disagree with us about uh, going forward. But, Matt, let's finish off where the race was won and lost so we can talk a little bit about Red Bull and a little bit about the uh, Hamilton and Bottas battle before we actually go on to the, the wonderful midfield as well. Oh, yeah. There's no dearth of stories to discuss today. But the third and ultimately most crucial aspect in many ways had to do with Verstappen's second pit stop. Now, this is after Red Bull put him on the medium tires and looked at them and said, you know what? We've, we, you're ahead of Botas. We can get you an extra pit stop. Why don't you just go ahead and push on those tires and come back in and we'll give you a fresh set of hards and run you all the way to the end. And so he came in on lap 32, as did Botas. Now, the interesting thing, first of all, was Mercedes couldn't really make a lot of time on him despite their new tires. That was a surprise. The whole second part of the stint where Max was on old tires, they were on new tires. They really couldn't do very much. And then bringing Botas in, I found myself asking the question, were they were they going to undercut him? Because I believe he'd gotten sort of in undercut range, if I'm, unless I'm misremembering it, which is possible. 
Um, did they bring him in to try and cover Max, to try and undercut him and RBA and Red Bull twig to it? I'm not really sure why, but regardless, they brought Botas in the same lap as Verstappen, and that set up Hamilton to get the better strategy from Mercedes. Kyle? But at that point during the race, Mercedes had to do something. So Bottas might not be very happy with his strategy and they decided just to do something different with Hamilton. Now, if you remember at the time, it was looking pretty bleak for Hamilton at that point. That was not obvious at that time that that was going to be a good strategy. In hindsight, yes, yes, it probably was. But they had to do something to try and tackle Verstappen. He already had track position on them. It had already been proved he can look after the tyres better. And I thought that was a genius stroke from Red Bull yeah. to basically cover off Mercedes and stymie Mercedes, because Mercedes were going to try the undercut, and Red Bull probably saw them coming out to pit lane. We're like, nope, we'll just quickly get in there now and do that, and we've got track position, and then we're home. So Mercedes didn't really have many other options to try to win the race than to try to do something very alternative with Hamilton. And here's where it was really went wrong for for Valtteri is because Mercedes were again beginning to suffer with their lap times around this point. So it made sense perhaps to try a new set of tires for Valtteri, and then that put. Red Bull in a position where they could cover him off yeah. and know they had Hamilton dead to rights. However, it turned out that Hamilton staying out on those tires was actually going through a bit else despite the blisters. He was also going through a graining phase. And as he drove, the tires cleaned up and he began to come back into some tire performance that yeah. Mercedes might not have known they would have had. So, I mean, it really was the worst possible combination for poor old Botas, who had, after all, one pole position and was looking to make a tiny gain back oh, on was all the it, points he lost was it, last Was week. it so serendipitous? Was it so unlucky? Uh, uh, Brad, uh, Hamilton Hamilton was talking down the prospect of a one-stop race the whole weekend. And, you know, he started doing the whole complaining about the tyres. He started even dropping back a little bit. And then as soon as... I mean, I predicted before the race, I can't remember what medium I did it in. Uh, I think it was just between us. Um, that... You know, at some point, Hamilton was going to complain about the tyres, Bottas would pit and Hamilton would continue on. He seems to make a habit of this. Um, just explain to us a little bit about, you know, wh what's it like when you really don't have the tyres, um, but you stay out? What starts happening? You know, how does it feel? Because Hamilton just seems to have this this talent for going, oh, fine, fine, I'll get another 10 laps out of it. We'll be okay. Well, like you, like you mentioned, I feel like we've seen this a few times yeah. before. And it tends to be when there's no other choice. So I'm sure Hamilton probably would have preferred to to get some new tires if that if that was an option on the table to him that you know if it was a way around the car in front but in this particular situation the only thing really on the table that would have allowed him to to beat his teammate was to do something a bit different and that's what he did um in terms of how it feels in my experience i've never raced in a series where the tires blister like this and yeah. then get better again i've only ever really experienced in in racing that i've done tires just getting worse and worse unless it's maybe a more road tire based uh, a road car based tire which you can then kind of cool off and it comes it becomes better because the temperature drops generally yeah. slick tires i've used just get worse and worse but but looking at the the t the lap times like looking at the timing app really is worth its weight in gold because you would imagine that verstappen and and bottas uh, coming out uh, on fresh tires and hamilton staying out the the gap would have been you know going really massively against Hamilton, but looking at the lap times, like Hamilton was keeping pace with those guys on their new tires. Now whether or not that was the guys up front tire saving a little bit or not, it's still mightily impressive that Hamilton was still able to keep that up, Matt. And at that point, this is the final roll of the dice. You know, does he stay out for 
for that one-stop strategy, which I'm sure Max Stappen could easily have covered, or what we suspected, and by we I mean me and Treeface, my son, who's becoming quite the master strategist, uh, what we suspected was he's giving himself enough time to to come out on fresh boots and, and come and, and have a final attack. But that balancing act is so hard, and what you find in these situations with the multi-pit uh, stop races is the teams never leave themselves enough room for that ultimate chase up to the front. They always seem to short sell and leave themselves with too few laps. Yeah, it's a delicate balance. And I, I think with, with Hamilton, I think at that point, Mercedes was still hoping they could come away with a victory. So the deal would be to gain a tire advantage on Max mm. and then set Hamilton loose. But if you're going to do that, you're essentially overcutting your other driver at that point. And this is exactly what happened. Right, he did not yeah. have enough time or laps to get to Verstappen. Or, you know, I would say probably tires, if I'm being honest. But he certainly did have enough. To, I mean, he went down into the 128s when he was catching yeah. when he was catching up. And so he was decidedly had a little bit of pace, but it was never going to be enough. And all that wound up happening happening was that they switched positions Hmm. and you know again how unhappy do you have to be except for you have that new contract for next year yeah i thought it was quite telling as well that mercedes said to both drivers you are free to race yes thank you you can go free to race and not just say okay about three we're going lewis on different strategy we're going to have a pop at verstappen let him through let him through and then we'll swap positions if it doesn't come off they didn't even facilitate that thought they yeah. They were they were convinced that the race was already gone. Yeah, yes, because of Leclerc. And, and Leclerc was absolutely vital there. And he Leclerc like he defended so hard just for the sake of it. And I'm not saying there was anything unfair about it. It was just a weird amount of defense. Like I would you know, and this is why I'm not a professional racing driver, I would be totally like I Aye, on you go, lads. Like, on you go. On you go through. But Leclerc's, like, pushing him all the way to the inside at Stowe. I don't know whether that was for the TV cameras. You know, like when you get the first division goalkeeper who it's a comfortable catch just off to the side, but then he catches it and does a forward somersault on a roll. Uh, You know those, Brad. You know, it's for the TV cameras. I'm sure you guys would do the same. So, yeah, sometimes you can think, why is that driver defending (laughs) against a car, which is obviously going to come past them at some point? But... There is, as I'm sure you know from some of your sim racing you've done recently, yeah. there's always a chance that by just trying to hold them off, by just doing that defense, maybe mm. they'll make a mistake. And actually, maybe that position will come to you, provided you're not <laughs> harming a different battle, provided the other battles in the race are kind of done and dusted. You're not, you're not losing time to a car which you are actually on the same strategy as and are quite near to on track. If that's all kind of finished and you're going to finish in this particular position, minus the guy behind you, yeah, give him give him a little bit of a defense and, and see if you can um, eke a mistake out of him. Yeah, uh, Leclerc had nothing to lose making Lewis's life difficult. But I love the, the message from Mercedes. Oh, yeah, you're free yeah, to race. Right. Translation, Lewis is free to pass you because yes! that was like me and my Yugo racing you and your Aston, basically, because his tires were cooked. He had nothing. He, it was it was a done deal the moment they said that. I felt so bad for him. Oh, and by the way, you know, give each other room, i.e. give give Lewis room. No, I completely yeah. agree with you, Matt. I saw that. A hundred percent as a team order, because if it was the other way round, you could you could see them saying, "Don't play silly buggers." Like Hamilton, we know he's going to defend this to the death, even if his tires are falling off. Bring it home, or it would be 
uh, as Bottas was like four, four, four seconds behind. Yeah, guys, really struggling with like a sensor. Stay off the curbs. Uh, strap mode seven. Plan pr- preparation H. Uh, we need to slow this down. Bring it home. We've got an issue with both cars. And I'm not saying that they favour Hamilton. I think they just understand what's happening. So they understand that Hamilton overtaking Bottas is a lot safer than Bottas overtaking Hamilton. The best tactic for getting two drivers home without causing too much is was that. It was brilliant. Hey, guys, you're free to race. Uh, just give each other room, Valtteri, particularly you. Give him room. He's definitely coming through. Oh, it was horrible. So, <laughs> And I hate to do this because it's been such a great discussion, but there's one name we've not mentioned. Uh, Tobias. Albon. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Well, where was he? There, there was two Mercedes. Um, uh, Red Bull won the race. Where's Alex Albon? Well, if one did some very simple math with the F1 app, I and refuse. I'm not saying I did, but I yeah. pretty much did, and one subtracts his very first pit stop on lap six and instead grants him the same number of laps that Verstappen had in a one stop, yeah. then he finishes 19 seconds back of Verstappen, which is exactly where Botas finished. So it could be in trying something different with Alex, namely give him fresh tires, clear air, and let him carve through the field, they may have actually denied him a proper shot at a podium position today. I'm not going to say that for sure, because I didn't do a really detailed analysis on it. But the overview, that may be something that they look at internally and think a little bit more about next time. One thing that you seem to be overlooking there, though, is that he'd have had to pass a load of cars. So surely you can't just say the time he lost um, by doing it that way around, you know, he would have been that much further up the track. Surely he would have then lost lots of more lots more time by having to pass each one of those cars individually that he was about to get stuck behind. Except for all of those cars were pitting much earlier than he would have pitted. Um, Verstappen came in lap 26. Every car in front of him pitted before then. So he might have lost some time. But had he stayed out that long and pitted at the same time as Verstappen, he would have been he would have been basically on a Leclerc type strategy at that point. But he was already tucked up. I think it was behind Norris at that stage, wasn't yep. it? He was already tucked up, couldn't yep. couldn't go anywhere. And I thought Red Bull did a fairly clever thing there. I might have misread it, but on lap six, he was he could pit and come out with enough fresh air in front of him that he that he was gonna he had a good few laps to put the pace of that car to good use in free air before he caught the back of the pack. It was early enough that he still had that window to do it. That's why yeah. they took that chance. The yeah. others who tried to do it, Gasly and Gio, they didn't really have the pace and it really didn't work for them. Yep. No, Nat, uh, Norris was in lap 12. That's what I'm saying. Stroll was in lap 18. Hulkenberg was in lap 15. I'm saying the way would have cleared for him if he'd been patient. Okay. Ah, but yeah, he would have had the six laps stuck up behind him though, which I think Red Bull were trying to not lose that six laps of time time loss the okay. gaps just weren't that big though that's what i'm saying that's why leclerc wound up i know i that's why leclerc wound up in position four well okay look let's let, let's let's talk about album then briefly because uh people are so uh, keen and almost desperate to heap praise onto uh, alexander Albon. and you know even in the commentary you can see he's a hugely popular guy and he seems like a nice guy and he's going about things the right way. But there was so much excitement over white car passes. And I don't think you get any credit for white car passes. If you're passing white cars for position, 
you've done something wrong. You're in the wrong position. You know, those back six cars, white cars, by the way, Williams, uh, Alpha something and the other Alpha something and Haas. How many white cars are there at the back of the grid? There's like eight, isn't there? So look, you don't get you don't get credit for those. And yes, he was overtaking cars at COPS. And he overtook so many cars at COPS that you have to think, you know, then they must have had a, a just a great, great traction out of uh, Luffield over other cars. Yeah, he did it. I get that. He made his way up the field. But why was he so far back down the field? And I just feel like I, I want him to succeed as much as anyone, Brad. But I just feel like we're also desperately looking for him to do well, especially as a, as a you know, as a British driver, a Thai British driver that we're, we're just giving him too much credit for two little things. He should have been harassing Max Verstappen. That would be a win. This weekend is a fail. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. He, Albon's good bits are really good. And and if he could consistently pull out the kind of performances that he did like in the race today, if that was his normal performance all the yeah. time, including in qualifying, you know, just a little bit behind Max, he would have a totally safe seat. We wouldn't be talking about this at all, even if there was occasionally one or two cars in between them. But the fact that he's consistently having issues for whatever reason and and always having to fight through the pack. Some people in the chat have mentioned he looks good because he's always overtaking cars. Yeah. And yeah, he's always overtaking cars he shouldn't have been behind in the first place. And we've said this about Stroll in the past. You know, he makes loads of passes on the first lap. It's like because he's out, he's underqualified. So Albert needs to sort it out. I can see a Gasly lurking in the wings for another shot at a Red Bull chance. And it would be the work of a moment for Red Bull just to swap them back around. They've done it so many times now, it, it wouldn't even be a dramatic change. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The one reason why I think they won't swap them around, like mm. Albon's been fairly unlucky and he has an issue with Saturdays. And he said that himself in his after. Uh, in his, off, his post-race interview, he has a problem with Saturdays. The one thing he seems to have over Gasly, which I think why Red Bull are giving him a bit more of a shot and not 
and not putting so much pressure on him. He has the fight and he's making those overtaking moves and taking a risk, which is what Gasly never did. Gasly just sort of stayed there, stuck behind people. But Albon's actually making things happen in the race. And he's true. got that fire and that fight, which I think Red Bull like. They just need to sort his Saturdays out. So I think they'll give him a prolonged shot to sort his Saturdays out. And I, I really do need to come back to the fact that Red Bull pitted him into a position of <laughs> having to overtake all of those white cars today. He was in ninth place on lap number six when Mercedes tires were going off and they were making no time on anyone when they brought him in. Uh, I know it seems counterintuitive in this case, and I don't blame Red Bull for rolling the dice because as Kyle mentions, it was a clear and obvious strategy for them to employ under any other circumstances than what wound up happening today. But had they kept him on track and run him long like they did Max, he could have been he could have been fighting with Botas for the podium at the end of the race, I think. So F1 needs Alexander Albon to, to join Verstappen in, in some way. He, he, we at least need Albon to be Max Verstappen-ish. Uh, sorry, to be like the equivalent to Max Verstappen as Bottas is to Hamilton because uh, Verstappen is showing that he can make that Red Bull a, disrupt, a disruptor in the right circumstances. Like he completely tore up, tore up the script today. Bottas and Hamilton were meant to be fighting it out. And if you take Verstappen away, I think that Mercedes battle played out exactly like it would have done had Verstappen not been there. Hamilton eventually making a tyre advantage on a long stint uh, workout to eventually overtake him. Except it wasn't for the win today. It was for second place because of Max Verstappen. And the key thing here is, Matt, from a strategic point of view, how often does Max Verstappen find himself between those two Mercedes? So the Mercedes can cover him off they can do whatever and still have a black car up ahead of the the Red Bull. If Albon was up there, we could see genuine, genuine fights way more often when it's strategy as much as pace. So it sounds like you were answering a question that I really wanted to ask. I mean, I know I like to pretend I know everything all no, the time. No, it's okay. I'll edit it. mostly <laughs> true, and I'm generally right about it as well. However, yeah. what do you really think at this point Red Bull's expectations of Albon are? Do you think they want him finishing P4 to P6 every race and contributing to the constructors? Or do you think they really want him, just like uh, you would expect Bottas and Hamilton, to be finishing basically one next to the other and a proper strategy instrument? He needs to be in the pit windows, Kyle. Until he does that, he's not useful. Yeah, uh, as I think it's Mark Skiddow, sorry if I've got your name wrong, in the comments points out, Albon's only been in Formula One for one season. We're kind of overlooking <laughs> that. And also, okay, okay. Um, he hasn't exactly had stability. He hasn't had more than half a season in the same car yet. Mm, and stability okay. is one of the points I put in my race notes I'm noting down when I looked like Mercedes were going to run away with it again, um, was Red Bull haven't had really stability in their driver lineup to develop the car. They're relying essentially on one data source of... Of Verstappen. So I think they'd love Albon to have a bit more time and get settled. So then they have two driver inputs for the driver development, you know, realistic driver driver inputs. I'd like to just agree with Kyle and also just go one step further as well. He's also been compared against one of the absolute best drivers, certainly one of the very fastest drivers that I think's ever existed. So um, he does have a particularly tough time in that respect. So I, I'd certainly agree if, if Albon can consistently do very slightly better than he's been doing so far, (laughs) try and avoid some of the errors. They could legitimately give him a bit more time and maybe he he will mature into, uh, you know, a greater potential than it perhaps looks at the moment. 
Yes, I do like that argument because it clearly saved the career of Stoffel Van Dorn when he was up against Alonso, didn't it? <laughs> All right, look, um, let, let's wrap the one and lost into a neat little bow here because uh, congratulations to Red Bull. They're, they're, I think they're punching above their weight, certainly have, have punched above their weight today, um, but they're willing to take risks um, in a way that, that I think perhaps Ferrari won. And they've been realistic and pragmatic, Red Bull. They would like to be the best team on the grid. They would want to have you know, 2009 to 2013 back again. But they know they're not in that situation. So they're willing to bend and flex and do things differently. And when you are slightly behind, you do have to, you know, change things up and they're willing to do it. So thank goodness for Red Bull uh, making F1 uh, interesting and Max Verstappen as well. A fantastic performance. Maybe I'm being too harsh on Albon. Certainly people are wishing him well. uh, But Red Bull more than earned this this week. Fantastic. But... I don't want to get carried away because the championship battle, I believe, if there is one, is still between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Now, now, Kyle, I'm I'm looking at the press conferences. Hamilton doesn't seem upset. You know when Lewis Hamilton is upset. I think from quite an early stage in that race, he had clocked that Verstappen was going to be out of reach and he was looking at Valtteri Bottas. I suspect heavily Valtteri Bottas was always the target. Yeah, how can you be unhappy when you're walking away from an event and you've extended your already mighty yeah. championship lead? You're, you're not yeah. going to be unhappy. Um, the one who I was really surprised with at the end of the race was Bottas questioning the team strategy yeah. and being a bit unhappy. I was very surprised to hear those comments. Um, but he but he wants to win. But yeah, and Hamilton's mind is like, right, I've got my championship rival there. Even if he keeps him in shot and he goes off and he's just behind him, it's damage limitation. He's not losing much. So the fact that he's even got points on him bonus because it was looking really bleak at one point in that race for Hamilton <laughs> I thought he was going to drop back into um into the racing points at one point so it's worth noting that Verstappen is now second in the championship uh, granted I just still think that over the course of a championship it's going to be between Hamilton and Bottas happy to be wrong uh, but Brad you felt that perhaps he, he wouldn't be going away happy today yeah I don't think Hamilton will be happy at all obviously he'll be more happy than if Bottas yeah. finished ahead of him <laughs> but I think Hamilton understands that Pretty much everyone watching expects the Mercedes to be one, two. They think that the Mercedes is the fastest car. You know, it qualifies on pole by almost a second most of the time, sometimes more. So I think he will feel a little bit aggrieved by being beaten by anyone else because it it makes him not look like he's done the best possible job. Um, and I just don't think Hamilton likes, I don't think he enjoys waiting any longer to, to beat Schumacher's win record. I think he wants to get that one done and dusted. And, Although the championship is a step closer, being slightly further ahead of Bottas, like you mentioned, there's now a new person in the hunt for P2. Yeah, yeah, and Brad, right, okay, right. I'm going to blow a bit of smoke up your ass and then also insult you, all right? So hopefully that's okay. Uh, like You are alien-level talent behind a car, uh, in a racing car and a car in a sim race, and you won't even deny that. You won't be, you, you're not the kind of person to go, oh, stop it. You're going to go, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really good at race car stuff. Yeah, I'm waiting for the bad bit. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, see, you don't even see that as the bad bit. That's absolutely incredible. You're like, yes, why would I deny that I'm amazing? Uh, No, the the bad bit is obviously you can't win literally everything. So I've watched you be incredible behind the wheel, but every now and then uh, some results don't go your way for whatever reason. You have the absolute best laundry list of driver excuses. Uh, And I think you, you know, you have like, I reckon you have them written down. You learn them, you rehearse them. The re- I'm not just slating you, but Lewis Hamilton today, he went through from start to finish. Like, 
What could it be? You could hear you could hear his brain ticking over. It can't just be because we haven't got it today. It's got to be something else. So I can't claim to understand what it's like to have Lewis Hamilton's level of skill. But what I think he's going through is this mental process where he like we've we've heard this loads of times. The drivers need to believe they're the best. But when you're someone like yeah. Lewis, who has just basically beaten all comers um, almost all the time, he's got for decades. The, he's got yeah. the, the handle on his teammate, and, and that, I'm not talking just in Formula One. I'm talking all the way since he started racing go karts, all the way up until the current day. So when something doesn't go right, or when he doesn't win, there normally probably is a reason why. You know, there 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 probably is an actual justification for it. And maybe sometimes if he has underperformed, it will he'll be able to find some justifications anyway, because normally, like the vast majority of the time, it's not me. And I think this is the process maybe Vettel is going through right now, because someone like Sebastian Vettel, once again, you've come through all the ranks being an elite driver, beating everyone who ever sits next to you, which is why you then get the pound seat at a good team and then win a load of championships and then become a Ferrari driver. And at the moment, it's that isn't happening. He's always being beaten. And I can see this massive cognitive dissonance where they're trying to rationalize, how, how is this happening? Because it can't be me, but yeah. is it me? Has something changed? And it's really, really difficult to watch that. So cognitive dissonance, you know, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll do my, my pigeon explanation of it, is when you, you have a solidified position in your mind, but then the reality is really different. And the reality being different from what you've convinced yourself in your head is cognitive dissonance. And it can it can hurt. It can almost physically hurt until you resolve that cognitive dissonance. So until you stitch together something from where you are or where you think you should be and the reality and you stitch it together so it all makes sense and make that pain go away, uh, you know, that cognitive dissonance is not resolved. Now, Lewis Hamilton, you could sit there. He was working through, first of all, it's it's the blistering tires. These tires are, are terrible. It's blistering. The rears are gone. What could it be? And then he starts looking at the the tire pressures, Matt, and he starts, you know, kind of going, "Well, hang on a minute. Like, why are we? Why are we having these problems with the tires? Well, there's got to be a reason. It can't be me. It can't be my driving. Red Bull must have lower tire pressures." Yeah, and he clarified in a press conference after the race that what he meant by that was that they were doing a better job of controlling their tire temperatures, which meant they were keeping their Uh, pressures from skyrocketing, which goes back to the suspension comments that I made earlier, which I know you don't want me to go into. No, 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 they were really good. No, no, they honestly, they were really good. I know everybody thinks that I find Matt insufferable and boring, but I have him on like just about every show and yeah. the Remain Indoors podcast once a week on a Thursday, 2 p.m. Come join us live or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. So I must like you at least a little bit, Matt. Must do. I know. I, I was I was making a joke <laughs> in the spirit of the show so, uh, about your reaction to any technical thing that I try to bring up. I don't, no, no, but th- th- that is, it's such a good point about the way the different uh, suspensions and stuff are, are set up and why uh, different tyre pressures uh, might affect... Uh, different cars differently because it's political i think there's a political element to to where these tires are set there was in 2013 there always has been when you have one tire supplier and it's not about competition it's about uh they provide tires to order there's always going to be a slight political element and a quick shout out to joseph richards as well who made that same point in the in the chat speaking of the chat tori ellington makes the excellent point that the blistering was right front and that the chassis corner weight might have been overcorrected in an attempt to protect the left front, which normally goes off. So oh. I love having people like that in the chat yeah. because 
I missed that myself. And well, not surprising because I'm not really a race engineer, but nevertheless, what a brilliant point. So we have capacity to take live calls now. So I am, I have been thinking about, and I would, I would like if people would tell me if it was a good idea or not, not now, to do a call-in show. So basically me and Matt and one of the panel, we set ourselves up. We have a list of things that we're going to talk about if no one joins us. But in the live chat, I will drop a Zoom link and you would be welcome to to join in and, you know, and ask your question and come and chat to us. We, we've trialed it on the Remain Indoors podcast and it's worked really well, Matt. And as long as not too many people jump on and go, willies, then I think it could work. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly worked more often than it's not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of like Mercedes with tires, mostly they're good. And occasionally you have one of those days. <laughs> OK, well, thank you so much for breaking down how the race was won and lost. Fantastic analysis and just an intriguing and fascinating strategic race. Download the live timing app from F1. Watch it. You know, even as Hamilton was coming out on soft tires uh, on his new tires, sorry, you could watch the sectors straight away. So even really before the commentators are talking about it, even before... Uh, you know, people on Twitter and your chat groups are getting excited about it. You can see, Kyle, that he's done he's he's done the the first sector. Sector two, it's blistering, it's purple. Sector three, oh my gosh, that's amazing. People are still waiting for his first hot lap. You already know that he's gonna be about two seconds a lap quicker. I love it. And you can be the commentator's echo. Yeah. So or the commentator can be your echo. So you're like, oh so and so's done a slow second sector. Yeah. Oh, so and so it's done a slow yeah. second well, sector. Even my ten year old has got the hang of it and he keeps yelling out, Dad, look, Ocon, Ocon's pace, look. Yeah. And I think this all brings to like um, a wider issue, and I'm not sure we're gonna get onto it a bit later, that we want to see more two stop races. We need to see the tire strategy more on the point of yes. two stop is the norm and one stop's risky, not one stops the norm and two stops risky. Let's get onto that now, right now. So there's quite a lot of racing purists at Missed Apex Podcast, and I'm certainly, I'm getting to the old fuddy-duddy age, you know, guys. And I get a bit annoyed. Like, Matt, I call you old. I was getting abuse from Van Jean, uh, Brad, and Kyle here, because you guys are all like 34, 35. Is that right? You both 34? That's disgusting. 34. Oh, man, that is disgusting. Like, I don't even think of that. Like, obviously, I'm 40 in a bit. And so I'm significantly older than you guys. It feels significant. Like, definitely old enough for you guys to give me a bit of grief. You know what the best bit is, though? Yeah. You and I both know how horrible they're going to feel in just a few more years. Well, well, this is this is it. Do you know what the, the thing that struck me most lately? I know this is a bit remain indoors and not very F1. But, um, yeah, sorry. But putting your socks on, you used to, you know, putting your socks on, and I, I'm probably fitter than I've been at various points in my 20s, but, you know, you put your socks on, you lift your foot up, you put your, your sock on. It's just not quite like that anymore. I can sit down, lift my foot up, and put my sock on. But you know what? It's an awful lot more comfy, Matt. If I just if I just put my foot on my knee sideways, I just rest it there and put my sock on sideways, that's a lot more comfy, isn't it, Matt? Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of things a lot of things change in the <laughs> intervening years. I bet that Brad and Kyle can still get in and out of a chair without going, like that. That's how young they are. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> not quite. All right, cool. So uh, why were we talking about that? Right. Uh, the the future of pit stops, tire stops. So I'm of that old kind of commodity age where I look at outlets like WTF1 who whinge and moan every time there's, oh, there was four laps without action. F1 is dead. Okay. Like, I'm still someone who would watch test cricket. So maybe I have to accept that I'm just getting to that age where, yes, I don't need everything. Bang, bang, bang. I'm still pretty impatient. Like, I would... 
read a book, maybe. But if there's a Netflix adaptation in two years, I'll wait for that. If we were to have mandated more than one stop, F1 would be better, popular, more exciting. We It would be a gimmick, though. It would be a gimmick. It, pretty similar to sprinklers on the track mat. So what do we do? Do we... We're in charge of F1 now, by the way. Do we say to Pirelli, every single race, I don't care what you have to do, I don't care what witchcraft you have to boil up in your laboratories, make it so you really can't safely finish a race on one stop. And if you do, you've done something incredible, like two-minute laps at Barcelona. Simples. First, throw out the qualifying tyre rule because only the best teams are benefiting from it. And then the midfield teams that do get into the final qualifying session have to run a tire that puts them at a disadvantage. So number one, just chuck it out. Be done with never, it. Well, the one, the one where in Q2, whatever tire you qualify on, that's your race tire. Correct. I've never understood yeah. the benefit of that. Never understood the benefit of that. It can only possibly benefit the, the top teams, like the very top teams, who can get away with it. Well, the point at once upon a time was that everyone had to run a worse tire that wouldn't last as long. So people starting further back could adopt the mm. alternate oh, okay. strategy, okay. which is what Max did today. However, the top teams are so much better. The top two teams now, because the top third team is no longer there, are so much better. They can run an entirely different compound and have the alternate better strategy at the start of the race. So it's pointless. Get rid of it. Second thing is... Sorry, before you do the second thing, I will say the top th- third the third top team is still there. It's just called something different now. Well, they're more of a midfield team, so they don't have that same performance advantage anymore. They can't, you know, Ferrari can't run the medium or the hard tire into Q3. They strap on a pair of softs and cross their fingers that it all goes well for <laughs> and them. And secondly, or have I thrown you off your point sufficiently? No, Damn. you're not throwing me off my point. Okay. Secondly, I would get rid of uh, mandatory pit stops altogether. If you, if you design a car that can take the hardest tire compound and run an entire race and you think that's fastest, well, then by goodness, you should, by golly, you should do that. And third, you should invite Pirelli to bring softer compounds to the races with uh, wide enough performance gaps that there's not much of a difference between two or three stops or one or two stops, depending upon which track and what kind of degradation profile you're looking at. Kyle Power. Yeah, that's the thing I've been asking for for a while in sort of private conversations and stuff they need to go maybe not this one step softer or or the degradation style that they have now but they need to make the one stop not the norm yeah like there's been a complete trend going towards the one stops the norm the risk is taking a two stop make the risk the one stop do soft tires and this is we may be in that situation now martin brundle said that um ross braun text him during the race saying these softer tires are good aren't they this could be a precursor <laughs> to us going to this softer mm. compound but and we've had very this similar to what happened back yes. in 2010 at canada yeah. when 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 bridgestone accidentally bought two softer compound there was loads of pit stops crazy and that was the precursor to this pirelli yeah. high degradation era because the fa like this is great so <laughs> they've got an opportunity to go back there again that was like a four-stopper, though. Uh, Brad, rub- is it rubbish? You're racing in a... You've just reached the pinnacle of motorsport, Bradley Philpott. You're driving for... I don't know. Uh, Renault. All right. But now you have to change your tyres every five minutes and you can never really push on them. Or can you... What do you think? I think from a driver's point of view, they don't really enjoy the tyre preservation. Um, it's just not a very fun thing to do. You want to just push as as hard as possible the whole time. So I think... I think that's how the drivers feel personally. From a spectator point of view, 
it obviously makes things more interesting. Maybe if you're a driver that's extremely good at preserving tires, mm-hmm. maybe a Perez or someone, actually you do enjoy it because you enjoy the end result. But the driving itself isn't particularly enjoyable. Sorry, you were going to make a point. Uh, no, I'm, I'm asking you for a clarification. So we talk about like, um, in fact, some people asked you in our iRacing League, uh, email us spannersready at gmail.com if you want to join us on iRacing. Someone said, Brad, how do we preserve the tyres? Because at Silverstone, they were they were going off in our in the officials on iRacing. And you said, well, it's it's about, you know, not turning more than you have to, not not turning the wheel more than you have to. So are, are the better drivers always better at tyre preservation? Because Valtteri Bottas is brilliant. He's a brilliant world-class racing driver. Up against Lewis Hamilton, though, he always seems to just get through the tyres a little quicker. I think it's just very tiny margins um, that in a very extreme environment and without going into, you know, without seeing their data and seeing exactly what the drivers were doing differently lap after lap, it's very difficult to say why there's a difference there. Um, Driving styles are obviously, although they reach a very similar end goal, sometimes, you know, close enough to be thousands of a second apart. um, The way they achieve that with the exact method Mm. they're turning the wheel and the way they're applying the throttle and combining those things isn't going to be totally identical and those tiny differences just will add up over a stint. But in general, as you said, the the ways to avoid that from happening, the ways to treat your your tires better, it is basically just to not turn the wheel further than you need to, not carry more speed into a corner than you need to, not brake harder than you need to, and you know, therefore potentially lock the tires. It's all those little things that then build up and contribute to the damage to the tire. Well, what I suggest, and that's a great breakdown, by the way, Brad, but what I suggest is we absolutely uh, piss and moan about uh, one-stop strategies, force Pirelli into making like complete chocolate tyres where you have to pit two or three times, and then we get on this podcast and we complain until we're blue in the face so that they then circle back and make it one-stop. Oh, wait, all of this has happened many times before and will happen many times again. Is that what you're going to say, Kyle? Yeah, I was about to say, isn't that exactly what's just happened? It's the 100 Acre Woods. That's what it is. We're F1 is the 100 Acre Wood. It's it's an impossible balance. And um, uh, I'm sure, the thing is, we go from one re- regulation to another. We we swing from, you know, reactionary steps uh, to regulation changes. Then one team dominates. We, we overcompensate and panic. Like at the beginning of the hybrid era, everyone panicked about lap times. Who cares about lap times? No one cares what the stopwatch says. Surely everyone panicked. They bolted tons of downforce onto the cars and then no one could overtake for three years. And so what what we get used to as F1 fans over the decades is occasionally as we're swinging backwards and forwards, we catch a sweet spot and it's wonderful and it's brilliant and we can enjoy it for all its glory and all its wonderful memories that it gives us. And then the rest of the time, we just get to bitterly complain. Not bad going. Thank you very much to our live chat room for joining us today. Uh, I have to say, this is, I think, our record numbers of live chat. Uh, I've seen like 789 people concurrently and previous records. Oh, in fact, last week, uh, four and a half thousand people dipped in to, to at some point to watch our live stream. Most radio stations from around the world uh, that are, you know, around the country that are not like big national radio stations, all those radio stations with a transmitter, local stations would be delighted if four and a half thousand people at some point tuned into their two hour show, uh, one hour show, one hour show. I don't know who said two hour show. 
So thank you very much for joining us. And thank you as well to the patrons who support us so fantastically. We literally would not be here without patron support. And we do our best um, to make it worthwhile being a patron. So A, you get a warm, fuzzy feeling that you're helping an independent podcast fight on the same level as some of the big podcasts. There's the big conglomerates that have backings from corporations and from media outlets. And yes, they're in the, the top 50 of iTunes, but just below them are are us. You know, just below them are us, and we're hovering around the 90s on a good week. We've been as high as 68 in the iTunes charts as well, and that's because of you guys leaving us um, iTunes reviews, and it's been fantastic. If you could leave us an iTunes review, like the wonderful people that have in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've had a flood. You know, we had about 50 internationally. Uh, that would be fantastic if you could add to that. But also the patrons, uh, you know, just keep us going and their support in our patron slack group and just keep telling us what we're doing wrong what we're doing right is incredible we try and make it worth your while we give you an ad free feed we try and do some extra patreon podcasts but matt mm, awkward we haven't we haven't done those matt we've got to get we've got to arrange it because i've enjoyed it when we've done the patron only shows yes i'm not typing a comment about pirelli's predicted stint links <laughs> at all into the chat and we should and we are overdue and oh my goodness we we have the biggest thing to argue about endlessly to no point whatsoever in the thing that we're going to talk about later on the show, the the decision yeah. regarding Racing Point and Renault. We have the Concord Agreement, which is up, I believe, to be signed August 12th, if what I read on the internet is correct, because mm-hmm. we all know no one ever lies on the internet. Yeah, and I will be yeah. clear, though, with these patron-only podcasts, it's not like a paywall. It's not like, oh, come and find the no. best content, and, oh, we're not going to talk about what we think of Albon. We're going to save it for a paywall, which I know at least one F1 podcast does. We're not going to do that. It really is. It's kind of like an after-hours. We relax a little bit. We do yeah. go off on tangents. Uh, it's not necessarily the most focused uh, stuff, but I think we are a little bit more relaxed, and some people have said that they enjoy that greatly. And also you'll come and join us in our patron slack group which is just it's an app on your phone and it's like a forum with loads of channels uh, and if you want to be able to chat with me and matt much more casually in a in a group setting that's where we hang out quite a lot um, but mostly it's the warm fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're giving us the power to compete with some of the big guys in the itunes rankings and on downloads so patreon.com forward slash missed apex patreon.com forward slash missed apex Okay, guys, we need to get a move on because we are minus 12 minutes into our hour-long show, Vettel. Right, let's see who disagrees with me on this. Sebastian Vettel isn't driving the same car as Charles Leclerc. Uh, Brad, did you twitch? Did you go to comment? I I just don't think he's driving the same equipment as Leclerc. He didn't suddenly become that much worse. He just didn't, and I'm not buying it. So I twitched because it's an interesting topic. So ah, I wanted to, oh, okay. wanted to get involved. Um, so I've got a couple of different thoughts on this. First of all, I don't think Vettel has just forgotten how to drive fast. There was a period where he was pretty much on par with Charles Leclerc. However good we think Leclerc may be um, and how he might be ultimately faster than Vettel. More recently, there's been a massive gulf. And I think this could be due to a couple of different things. Maybe it's due to the gradual decline in Vettel's personal confidence and therefore a downward spiral um, in that respect where he just loses confidence in the car, the team loses confidence in him, he doesn't then get the most up-to-date parts, or maybe he just doesn't get trusted 
by the team or he doesn't trust what's underneath him. And basically it all adds up to worse lap times and worse performances. And with the midfield being close and Ferrari being part of the midfield nowadays, yeah. he then is a lot further down the grid than he would normally be. That's one potential thing that could be wrong. Maybe what you just suggested is right. Maybe because he's leaving at the end of the season, the team are just favoring Charles, but I struggled to see how the car would be that much worse just through some small development parts. Um, and I, I doubt they're just turning an engine down. So there's definitely some underlying issue. I feel like it's a driver-related problem more than the car-related mm. Kyle, agree with me, or I'll yeah. cut you off. Um, I semi-agree <laughs> with you. As Brad has said, and as several other people said, as, um, it's not like he's forgotten how to drive. The gap is not marginal. It is huge. He even said it's, it's massive himself that something isn't stacking up. I like If you know where you're losing it, he said he looked at the data and he's like, I'm not losing in one braking zone or any apex. I'm losing everywhere, like absolutely everywhere I'm losing. And I don't know whether this is uh, um, like a cracked chassis or something, whether they need to try or something isn't right. I can't remember who it was, but we've seen that in the past that somebody moaned repeatedly for races and they checked the tub and realized he had a cracked chassis and changed it. And then it was all better again. I think it may have been I think it was a, years ago. I think it was a red one. Um, yeah, maybe. Was it Ricardo? I remember somebody in the team yeah, moaning I think it was about Ricardo. This, but, for a couple of weekends and they did find a fault with the chassis. Maybe there's something like that. He hasn't forgotten how to drive, but it is the car is so far away from, it looks like from what Leclerc has or the way Vettel's trying to drive it. It doesn't suit his style. I don't know what's going on, but I don't think it's 100% Vettel's fault. I do think there's some underlying cause here. Uh, Brad, I know you want to get in. Before you do, people were saying like, well, Ferrari wouldn't cost themselves points. Yes, they would. For Ferrari, it's not always about the points, especially when they're not fighting for the championship. With Ferrari, it's about front. It's about pride. And they cannot be seen to be making the wrong decision, keeping Leclerc and letting Vettel go. It is not beyond the realms of doubt. This is the team that cracked open Felipe Massa's gearbox on the grid so that he would get a five-place penalty to let Alonso go up the grid a little bit, all right? This is not a team that will not favour one driver over another. I absolutely can believe that Ferrari are keeping Vettel out of technical meetings so he doesn't have the information that might let him drive that car faster. If there is a cracked chassis, they're not in a terrible hurry to fix it because every time Vettel fails, it validates their decision. Brad? So I think you might have a fair point there. I really hope you're wrong. But I think the thing which will let us know which which is true, whether or not you're right in that respect, yeah. is whether or not he signs confidently for Aston Martin next year. Because mm. if Vettel believes it's actually him, if he can't find a genuine rationalisation for why this is going so badly wrong, I think he will quietly retire and just assume that it's, you know, he's just not got it anymore. If he signs for Aston Martin and he's got a new drive and a new purpose and he thinks he can be that guy again. Mm. I think that will tell us that maybe there was more going on behind the scenes than than it first looked because he wouldn't be signing up to go and be beaten by Stroll. You know, he, he wouldn't be going over for a challenge knowing that he's kind of lost whatever magic it was that, you know, he's lost his key <laughs> skills. But can I just give... The thing I actually wanted to mention in yeah, this topic was I, I've got a kind of hypothesis that drivers have quite long careers nowadays and... Drivers come through the ranks and have their early uh, founding Formula One years. 
quite often in very different cars to what they end up driving in current times. So Vettel's prime was driving extremely different cars to to these current cars. And although I appreciate that doesn't really explain last year to this year, aside from the fact that, you know, Ferrari have taken a big downturn and the car isn't as easy to drive because they've had to take off a lot of downforce. um, Maybe Formula One has evolved away from the style that Vettel in particular needs to get the best out of himself. Yeah, and there's something to further back Brad's point up there was think back to 2014 and the engine reg changes. Vettel went from being all dominant to being all at sea and had several spins and several mistakes, very uncharacteristic, like with the change in engine regs. Now, the car has changed philosophy. They've gone for this philosophy, which clearly hasn't worked. I know he wasn't particularly happy from... um, from last year in their philosophy, but it seemed to have gone even further to the point where he isn't happy. I do think there's something else going on behind the scenes, but Brad does have a point there, and we have seen this in the past with Vettel. Okay, uh, Matt. Uh, Matt, believe it or not, we've just slightly, and I'm pains to admit this, we've slightly sneaked over our strict one-hour time limit. So uh, I suggest we quickly cover one or two points from our midfield notes, and then we move on to the awards, and that we cover the racing point decision mid-week. What do you, what do you think? Because otherwise I think we're going to be here for three hours. I think that's entirely reasonable as okay. long as I can first make my point that even okay. looking at today's race, Vettel said, please don't pit me early. Yeah. Oh. And they did, despite the spin, they did exactly that. Again, I went to the app, had a quick look. I do believe he could have finished right behind Ocon yeah. had they just simply kept him out and and pitted him because he was on the hard tire. And even though I know he would have had a flat spot from the from the early spin, which wasn't entirely his fault this time around, I would argue. Uh, okay, but it was kind yeah, of his fault, no, he, and he's got previous he was, for it. Yeah, he's got the previous, but in this case, he was squeezed by Albin onto the curbs, and I think he just the car was still unsettled when he got back on throttle, and that was less. Oh, Brad's going to hang on, hang on. Brad's going to yell at you now. Oh, I just wanted to say, oh, did Albin force him to get on the gas too hard then? No, no, I, I said he got on the throttle early, but he was the car was hadn't quite settled when he got back on the throttle. Okay, wait, sorry, sorry, Matt, gonna have to interrupt you because Kyle gonna have to interrupt you because Kyle wants to yell at you now. Okay, <laughs> I'm saying that um, if you look, I can't remember whose onboard it was, but if you look, he dipped a wheel in the dirt. There was so much dirt on the inside of the on the inside of that curb. He took far too much curb, dipped a wheel in the dirt just as he blipped the throttle. It was always going to go round. Someone, I think it was science on board, and you clearly see the big dust. Yeah. cloud come up from where Vettel put his rear right tyre into it. Can we give him some right, credit? Well, Can we give him some credit, Matt? Because uh, his trajectory was ploughing him straight into Carlos Sainz and he made some big steering adjustments and probably sacrificed his own spin to make sure he didn't hit Sainz. Yeah, no, I, I think we can give him credit for not getting into an engagement with Albon, which Magnussen was unable to avoid last <laughs> week. So exactly, I think yeah, we can yeah, give yeah, him yeah. lots of credit. I think it was just a bit of misfortune for him that that turned out the way it did in the very first turn of the race. But I think Ferrari did indeed make it a bit worse. He finished 12th. I think he could yeah. have finished in the points, maybe as high as ninth, had they simply plowed on with their original strategy. And I think that just goes to show you that they're someone that Ferrari, that he's someone that Ferrari simply no longer listened to. Yep, absolutely. You do as you're told, yep. because that's what we pay you to do. Yeah, he's nothing. He's nothing at Ferrari. And I'm not a big Vettel fan. The entire time on this podcast, I've been sitting here slating Vettel because he's been kind of the enemy driving for the big big bad, you know, and he dominated the sport for four years, you know, probably more than Michael Schumacher did. 
Uh, certainly as much as Lewis Hamilton is doing now. But, you know, Vettel had... He's had a chance for seven world titles. He has four. So I've not been his biggest fan, but he's a great driver and he's not being treated right at Ferrari and it stinks and I don't like it. Okay, cool. Uh, Cool, I need some more practice pressing those buttons. Uh, Matt, I think... um, a lot of our points in the midfield may get covered in the awards as well, but I think I think you would be upset if we didn't talk about Ocon's result because you have a you know strange fanboy fascination with Esteban Ocon. You massively overrate him, so I'm gonna let you continue to do that, even though it makes our show worse. Please continue. Well, actually, I was only going to mention him in passing. Oh, right, yeah. Because the most amazing story of the midfield, if we're taking Ferrari as a midfield team, we now, which I think is fairly yes. reasonable, it is. Uh, had to be Charles Leclerc finishing a one-stopper in fourth place, which seems ridiculous, and it kind of was. He went from 41 seconds back after his pit stop to 29 seconds back at the end of the race. And it was incredible. He was, and, and also he was in full stealth mode. That was the stealthiest fourth place I think I've ever seen. Just, he was <laughs> hardly mentioned during the race. And he just, he was, yeah, it was sort happened, of sinisterly sort of sneaked under the radar and just plopped up in fourth. That happened what, last week, though. Drive, and he, he was my driver of the race. Uh, see, if Norris has got, um, you know, a reputation for these last lap overtakes, Leclerc has a reputation for, it's just stealth. By stealth, it's like, he's like, uh, first is Hamilton, second, but, and third is Leclerc somehow. And that just seems to be happening. Yeah, so what? What are you doing there? Where have you been all day? <laughs> oh, man, it's so interesting. I mean, I think this era of F1 has really shown the, the difference in talent between drivers. And like, if you looked at Red Bull and Albon was the lead driver, you would think that it was a very ordinary car. I think you'd be feeling the same with Ferrari as well. Uh, Grosjean is just so wrong when he talks about the value of drivers. Maybe 40 million is a lot of money, but you know the drivers can make a massive difference. Okay, uh, but Matt... Um, Ocon, how did he do? Because it looked like uh, Ricardo was had the measure of him, and Renault again looking properly dangerous in that midfield. Was it just down to Ricardo spinning? Well, yeah and no. I mean, first of all, props to Ocon. He did do a one stopper. Mm-hmm. He started in fourteenth place. He finished in eighth on one stop of tires. He ran the mediums twenty two laps, and then he ran the hard to the end. Now Ricardo did have the extra stop and he was behind Ocon ahead of signs and they were all in a line and he was on three lap fresher tires. So one would think that the order would have been to let Ricardo through or to let them battle it out. But again, they looked to be on for double points and then he just dropped it defending against signs. I, I think some people are saying there might've been some contact. I didn't I see anything. Think so, no. I think he, he put his hand up way. and just went, ah, dropped it. Yeah. Good. There you go. He's looking all right, isn't he, Ocon? Not bad. I think, um, Brad. I just wanted to say Ricardo actually admitted he said he did a Vettel. He actually said that. No, he, he didn't. No, he didn't say that. Yeah, he oh, did. my God. Oh, my God. That is amazing. Okay, Daniel Ricardo. That I know a lot of people love him, but I think he's slightly evil. And I think... He's a, I think he is flash to bang very quickly. I would not want to get on the wrong side of Daniel Ricciardo. I reckon that guy has got like a big flashpoint. 
Flash to bang very quickly. Did you guys see Lando Norris flicking off his cap in an interview uh, before the race? Did you catch that? L- yeah. Lando Norris sort of, um, you know, he jumped, he was walking past and he, he jumped in and was like, oh, hi guys. And he started bantering about the overtake at Luffield and how he let him past. They're going to be teammates next year. And at some point, Lando Norris just flicked his cap off and it was all meant in jokes and bant. And I, I swear, I swear I just saw a flash in Ricardo's eyes that was like, <laughs> you boy, no, no, you don't do that, boy. I'm the honey badger and obviously very good at making light of it. But he, I don't think Lando Norris is going to have the same signs type relationship that he's having this year. Next year, I'm going to give it till Barcelona. It is going to be gloves off between those two. That is going to be the next big like heated rivalry in F1. And I know everyone's looking forward to it and thinking it's going to be Bantz Central because that's what 40-year-old pundits say. I, I just, I, I think it's, Kyle, I think it's going to be madness. I think there's going to be real bitterness. As soon as Lando starts beating Ricardo, which I think he will, I don't think it's going to go down well. Uh, I'd like to agree with you because I think that'll be quite good uh, <laughs> watching and viewing, but I'm going to totally disagree with you. What? Um, there was quite a lot of needle it was getting between Ricardo and Verstappen when they were there at Red Bull and they still kept it light and jovial and they still looked to be fairly good friends with it. So I think with Norris and Ricardo, I think it'll be healthy. I think there'll be there'll be a few grumbles. There might be the odd high projectile dummy coming out of the garage every now and then. But I think overall, I think it's going to be the best natured sort of team pairing in football. Oh, there we go. Lauren in the chat room says, wow, that's some prediction. You mark my words. Okay, I, I will take... You telling me I'm wrong now, I don't mind. Just remember, that's all I want. Just remember in in uh, April of 2021 in Barcelona when it all kicks off. Just remember that I said it first. Guys, let's go to the podium. Yes, that's right. I'm pressing all the right buttons this week because I wrote them down on a piece of paper. What button does what? The 70th anniversary Grand Prix or the British Grand Prix Part 2 if you like. Um, there was a great celebration of, of Formula One on the uh, on the Sky Sports build-up, for which I, I think they should be congratulated. It was fantastic. And we have had two races at what I'm going to say is probably one of the top five. It's not probably. It's definitely in the top five all-time F1 Grand Prix tracks. I think my favourite all-time track is uh, is Canada. Barcelona for different reasons. Inter Lagos. But... but Silverstone is right up there. We could have this argument all day long. And in fact, I think we will at some point. In fact, let's let's definitely do it after Spain. Let's argue about our favourite tracks of all time. Um, but it, it's a wonderful racing track. It's big enough to suit these cars. It's one of the last traditional, historic F1 tracks that can still handle these beasts. And it changed and adapted and it's wonderful. And I think we've been in for a treat. So that's enough positivity for a bit. In fact... Our first award is very positive. We uh, we asked people for suggestions of what we should call our positive award. So we never really had a name for it. But people have told us to settle for a thing of the weekend. So we're going to stick with it. So Matt Two Rumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter. On Facebook, search for Matt Trumpets and you can see Matt posting pictures of trumpets. And the food my daughter cooks. Oh, yeah, that cake. I gained weight looking at that photo. It's so good. Let me tell you, it's not done yet. We always push our Twitters 
but there are we have interesting other things like I'm Richard Reddy on Facebook you can be my Facebook friend I post different things there or I'm trying to do the Instagram thing more Matt like when I have a nice picture in my reel and like normally I think oh who wants to see a picture of me digging a hole in sand well now I'm trying to get into the habit of going well maybe someone does I think that's what Instagram's for so I'm trying to do that more so follow me spanners ready on Instagram I don't often get to enjoy the age advantage over you, but at my yeah. age, I can tell you, people are amused by the oddest things sometimes. I think, uh, you know, uh, Instagram is like, you know, when middle-aged people are... No, <laughs> not middle-aged people. When people are very <laughs> proud of their camera roll on their phone, that's Instagram. Uh, but yeah, you can follow me there. The more people that follow me, the more I'll post. How's that? Matt, what is your thing of the weekend? Okay. Mm. Try not to be surprised. Okay. Ocon. Pirelli. Oh, yeah. yeah bringing man. the softer tires. Well, I say Pirelli. Bringing the softer tires to this race was genius, and I'm so happy they actually did it and that they stuck with it even after what happened last week because without it, I don't think we would have seen Max winning. I think we would have seen pretty much what we saw last week without the tires exploding. That's it. And instead, we got just a fascinating, beautiful, and wonderful race. So whoever was responsible for that decision, they're my thing of the weekend. Exactly. Somewhere in that Pirelli office... There was a tire engineer called Derek, and he was just sat like in his desk, unassuming, not not really, you know, he keeps himself to himself, this Derek. And he just went, he piped up in one meeting and went, what if for the second race we go a set softer? And everyone, shut up, Derek. That's not your job. Your job is to, to come up with uh, new rubber compounds. And he went, yeah, but please just hear me out. And they listened to him because he put his hand up. So thank you, Derek at Pirelli. Kyle Power. You are at Kyle Power F1, and on your Twitter, you use that to share the most interesting beards from around the world. You take pictures of your beard, you compare it to beards you see in the street, and then you post yep. that on Twitter, and you're like, rate this beard. And people are like, oh, four out of ten. And you're like, no, you're crazy. That's a five out of ten beard. But it's at Kyle Power F1. Yep, and basically the competition to be the biggest chap you can possibly be. So, yeah, all chaps have beards. All chaps um, have beards. Thing of the my, weekend, Kyle. Yeah, well, Trumpets nicked the one I was going to do, and it was going to be Pirelli. Um, and let's have more two stops, please. Uh, so my second <laughs> has to be Verstappen's ferocious appetite for winning and his attitude. Oh, I man. love the fact that he's joking on the radio. It's like his comment from Mexico a few years ago, simply, simply lovely. And he gets in the front, and that absolute belief he has that he can do it. Because when I've got to the front in races in real life and on the sim i'm like oh my god don't screw it up oh my god oh my god oh my god and Verstappen's joking and laughing like hey we're away and it's that absolute ferocious fire and self-belief that he has so that's my thing of the weekend uh brilliant uh let's go to uh bradley philpot uh he is search for bradley philpot everywhere but he on on the social medias but you do have a youtube channel as well where you just it's you uh, in front of a mirror and it's you having mirror conversations with yourself where you compliment yourself and then you accept that compliment. And to find that, search for BradDude2K on Twitter. I mean, okay, that isn't what I do. <laughs> if you want to see any of my iRacing live streams or, or any of my um, video blogs from real life racing, and just I'm going to just take this opportunity to say I'm actually racing at Silverstone myself mm. in two weeks. So in just under two weeks, I'll be out in a Lotus for the first round of the championship, which is bizarre since <laughs> yes. it's going to be August. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed we'll have a nice good result for my first race in that car at Silverstone. So check out my YouTube channel, which you can also just search Bradley Philpott for. You don't have to type in that weird Brad Dude Duke 2K. 
Can, can we come that. and watch right. you? Can we watch you? Can we go to Silverstone? Unfortunately not. Ah. No, no spectators allowed. It's all just like Formula One. It's all behind closed doors. Um, I get given four tickets and they basically just have to go to mechanics for the team. So ah, okay. it's, um, it's a shame because Silverstone would have been a good one to bring all you guys to, but maybe next year and uh, and some of the other tracks. So my thing of the weekend, yes. I'm glad nobody else took it. Um, and it has to be this. It can't be anything else because I was like whooping on the floor of my lounge and fist pumping. It was Hulkenberg's qualifying. Yeah. Um, seeing Hulkenberg get that third position, I was super, super happy about. And just before I leave this topic, just to appease the Stroll apologists, I also <laughs> thought Lance Stroll did quite well in the race today. He kept Hulkenberg honest. And it was only obviously after Hulkenberg was then called in to the pits again when he had vibration from his rear tires, which I believe he's now clarified was a real thing and not just a, a ploy by racing point to get Stroll to the front. Um, I think Stroll did a decent job as well today. So well done to racing point drivers in general. Brilliant. And I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to, uh, it's a cumulative thing. I know it's cheating, isn't it? Cause it's just meant to be this weekend, but I've got the feeling that Lando Norris's uh, just general, swagger is setting in now and if you remember I think midway through last season Signs was getting the better of Lando Norris quite a lot and I said Signs needs to enjoy that because Lando is coming for him Brad you remember that you remember I said that <laughs> I remember you saying that and I actually I've been watching his performances this year and I've been waiting to bring that up with you because <laughs> I do remember you well, saying yeah. enjoy this while it lasts Carlos because I think next year Lando's coming for you and we're getting close Matt we're getting close to that point we are, although I don't think you can take this weekend's <laughs> performance because of the cooling problems McLaren had. Carlos mm -hmm. had different aerodynamics on his car. So it's not a fair comparison this weekend. Fine. Just needed to make that point. All right. Well, you I, know, ruined... I had so much more to go with the midfield about all the McLaren issues. Well, you... I had a Sam Michaels reference. I was so proud of myself. Well, make it. No, no. I was just going to say the pit stop for Carlos Sainz killed him in the midfield race. I mean, it was shades of Sam Michaels. The wrestler. No, the former director at McLaren back when Hamilton's pit stop all went wrong in 2012. Remember Singapore? Yeah, I knew surely, that. Yeah, surely I knew you that. remember that. Yeah, I was joking. I knew that. I was joking. Of course. All right. Bad thing award. Oh, no. You missed the apex. I tried to re-record my son doing that because I was trying to do a little video pop-up where he would pop up in the corner of the screen and go, oh, no, you missed the apex. Brad was indignant with rage that as a 10-year-old, he didn't sound exactly the same as he did as a five-year-old. So on that request, we've kept the five-year-old version of my son, Treeface. Uh, but this is where we get to go ultra-negative. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're sitting on our couch in our sheds with our green screens, and we're going to slate the very best drivers and teams from around the world. Who's the most negative? It's got to be the evil-bearded Kyle Power. Kyle! Who missed the ape? <laughs> look at that thing on your face. You've got even, look, you've groomed it, but you've got like um like the genie from Aladdin sticking out the bottom. You've got that twirly bit. Yeah, that's exactly what it's for. So they'll spend most of the race twirling it. You could put Probably. an elastic band in that and look truly evil, but who missed the apex for you? I think it has to be, even though I've spent a lot of time defending him and every show I think I've been on in recent memory, I've spent, defending him has to be Vettel's radio mm. call mm. to the team saying, saying we spoke about this. Uh, I'm in here. I will carry on, but you need to know you've messed up. And you I thought that was quite a, quite a cutting comment that you need to know that you've messed up. You can't mm. say that after you dropped it on lap one. Yeah. Wow. That carries um, no weight. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's my that's my pony. Yeah. Okay. Cool. The next most ever uh, negative person, just on age alone, is Matt Dumpitz. Oh, look at his grumpy face. Who missed the apex for you? I, this is a hard one because I think everybody was 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 trying really hard, but I have to say Ricardo, Oof. dropping it like that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I hate to slate him. He's a great, he's a really great driver, and I've always been a bit of a fan. But uh, it's that okay. was just. You don't if have you're going to gonna slate Vettel, you got to slate him too. You don't have to caveat it on the oh no, you missed the apex bit. We're completely, we're free. Well, I've created a, a zone, a, a judgment zone. Judgment free outside that zone. In the zone, we can do tons of judgment. Brad Philpot, you don't mind judging people. Who missed the apex not, for you? Yeah, not at all. Um, well, Carl and Matt took both of my original ah, ones, so I've got to make a list. Buckets. Go on. Um, so the next one's just going to be Mercedes in general. Ooh. They've got a car which is quite often a second quicker than everyone else and neither of their drivers won the race and they were around 10 seconds off winning the race. So mm. Mercedes, for whatever reason, um, didn't win the race today. So they missed the apex for me. It's a high bar, isn't it? You didn't win even though you've won the previous five. That's quite harsh, I only need Brad. one of their drivers to win. There's, there's okay. two of them. Okay, so. there's two of them. Yeah, come on, Mercedes. Sort it out. Get a grip. My missed apex actually goes to uh, the... The, okay, I've heard the excuses, and I've I've heard that they said that there was a danger to Hulkenberg's car, and there was vibrations. I'm calling no. I'm calling no. No way do you bring that guy in from fifth. Stick him on soft tires for one thing. Yeah, even if there's vibrations, at least give him tires that are going to last the race. You 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 really did look like you pitted your really talented reserve driver out of the way so that your kids could get up to the front. It looked bad. The optics on doing that, everything looks terrible. And I would need a lot more convincing that it was a genuine call to pull Hulkenberg out of the way. I know that. Is, has anyone on the panel got any kind of, oh, no, Hulkenberg's rear wing was falling off? Kyle? Yeah, yeah. He said himself that he was having a big oh, blisters okay. open up on the rear tires and the vibrations everyone, were starting to get very was. quickly out of hand. But he was saying the vibrations were starting to run away within a couple of laps. So Hang on, he Ham- really defended the team on that. <laughs> Hamilton had that and he did 57 more laps. And exactly mm, the same. Yeah. And why go on to the softs? Why uh, not maybe just put- Hulk wants to drive mm. again next weekend. No, <laughs> maybe this, that is a good point. But Brad, they may as well have just stuck four marshmallows on the car. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed to see that happen, but my disappointment in Hulkenberg's race had kind of happened a little earlier when I realised that stealth Leclerc had managed oh, to slip yeah. up in front of him and that all hopes of a podium had gone. So I didn't really care what they did after that point, but it was a shame to see him the wrong way around with Stroll at the end. Yeah, we, we need to reduce our expectations on on Racing Point. They, they're, they're qualifying really well, and that's grabbing the headlines. If they weren't qualifying that well and they were just finishing where they've been finishing in the races, let's say they'd been qualifying badly and going up to the positions they've been finishing in these races, people would be going, oh, racing point, you know, they're really outperforming their car, their Sunday pace is brilliant. So I would temper that. Cast your mind back to 2012, no, 2013, when Mercedes were uh, like a second, like first and second on the grid, and and they would lose every race except Monaco. So, you know, that's all I'm saying. Don't get carried away with Racing Point. I think they're still pretty much a a top-end midfield team, scrapping with the likes of McLaren and Renault. Pony? Pony Award? Um, We've definitely got Pony Awards. It's just a case of finding the right button. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. That's my three-year-old Vivi. If you want to see what she's like as an eight-year-old, my latest Instagram TV uh, uh, video... 
is Vivi and my wife singing some jazz. So you can go and check them out singing Dat Dare. And uh, uh, she sounds a little bit different too. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Just a little bit different. Um, Pony Award, probably on weight of everything I've seen on social media, has to go to Lewis Hamilton finding every excuse under the sun and appearing to accuse Red Bull of having under-pressured tyres. Any other ponies? Obviously Vettel. Vettel, who was yours, Brad? Mine was also Hamilton, but for oh. a different reason. Oh, okay, go the, on. The post-qualifying, post um, when he was being interviewed, and he just obviously hates losing so much. And <laughs> he said, yeah, Valtteri did a better job, I guess. It was like the <laughs> I guess tagged on the end. Yeah, and I didn't have a perfect lap anyway. And also, I did do a faster lap, but only my cousin saw, and he goes to a different school, so you can't ask him. It was that kind of thing, wasn't it? Uh, any other ponies, guys? Kyle? Yeah, um, oh, I almost forgotten about it. Um, yeah, it was uh, Bottas at the end oh, saying we um, have won. the team dropped mm. the ball on the strategy, and then it was Toto Wolf or Toto Toto, however you say it. Definitely um, Toto. <laughs> Brad always gets me on this. Toto. <laughs> no, Tota. Tato. Tato. Brad. Tato. Tato. Right, cool. Tito. Hang on, Carl, stop there so Brad can yell at you. No, not at all. I just wanted to, whilst Toto was being brought up and at risk of extending the show even further, (laughs) I just wanted to mention Toto Wolf getting caught out on on live TV, getting a bit too close to his PA on the scooter. Um, I showed it to my fiance and she, I think it was her, or maybe, no, actually it was on, I showed it to someone on WhatsApp and they said, oh, but that's his wife. That's all right. And I said, no, no, his wife's in Berlin. This was just, he was just caught on TV getting a bit close in a scooter race, that's all. Okay. I felt a bit awkward. Mate, as much as I love this shed, right, I would get pretty sick of it. The amount of time my wife would make me stay in my shed and sleep in my shed if there was a photo of me doing that on a scooter with a younger employee. Just just saying, not saying there was any nefari- anything nefarious, just saying it looks bad. Anyway, uh, Kyle, it is definitely Toto. Literally no one says Toto. Like, only okay. you. Only you in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so, um, Toto <laughs> said in the interview... <laughs> Said said in the interview afterwards that no, we definitely couldn't win that race when Bottas yeah, had just I know. said the team had kind of uh, in, implied the team had lost the race for him. Hard day for Bottas in the office, Matt. Yeah, to be fair, what he meant was I could have beat Hamilton, not I could have won the race because his only race was really with Hamilton. Yeah, because I of agree. Their racing for the drivers' championship. No, I but agree. Yeah, could I throw in at the risk of inflaming everyone? No, go on then. Papa Stroll's defense of his team after he basically got away with it, according to the stewards' decision. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, look, I know everyone said like that. All the headlines were Renault protest upheld. Racing Point got away with it scot free. They, they said your car is legal now. There's a sporting, uh, technically, technical regulations. They said, oh, right, we'll go deeper into this another time, I promise. But from a technical yeah. point of view, they were basically like, you're good. The car's good, mate. The car's good. Sporting regs-wise, they got a fine and a deduction of points. And every single race from now on, they can protest and be found guilty of a sporting regulations infringement for which each and every time they will get a reprimand with no further consequences. Racing Point got away with it. They've been all but cleared. And still, Toto Wolf and Papa Stroll are going absolutely batty on press conferences. It's a really situ- weird situation, isn't it, Matt? Basically, n- no, there's no winners. No one feels like they've won. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and to not spend too much time on it, I think that was the idea 
behind the decision in the first place. I think it's called yeah. splitting the baby. Exactly. Yes, of course. You've gone all Old and, Testament. And, yeah. And so they were trying to sort of give everyone just enough to keep it from turning into the massive conflagration, conflagration that it appears that it will now. Yeah. Although I, I did hear Toto saying that he went to a mediation meeting to try and lead an arbitration to keep everyone from going mm. to the uh, International Court of Appeals. So it may yet be worked out amongst the teams without going any further. We haven't heard the last of it. Matt, we've got a very short amount of time left for... Comment of the week. Got my whole family in there. That's uh, that's the missus. That's uh, Nicola. That's old Mrs. Spanners there. Uh, famous for her performances at Miss Apex podcast karting events, you know, and also her singing career, but mostly for Miss Apex karting events. And so I've got the whole family in. Got the whole. Got, I need to do one. Oh no, I've got one, haven't I? I've got. I'm on this one. That's me. Big dirty news. Because we kind of talked about racing points, so that kind of counts. There you go. We got it all in. But but comment of the week, Matt. This is where we reward our chat room participants for their funny, amusing, or insightful awards who are your three nominees for comment of the week well first as always i would like to say thank you to chase 145 and oo for dumping some money into the super chat thank you thank you so much we always appreciate that even if we don't read your whole comments we love money oh and this is tough i have many several but i will lead with wish waiter science tidbit when vettel drives in the in the southern hemisphere he spins in the opposite direction oh, don't don't no no, he didn't do that. That might be the funniest thing I've ever heard. Okay, uh, uh, there's really no point, but what are the next two? Uh, I, I think we are going to go with uh, Stuart Neal in the chat. Put sprinklers on Paul DeResta to make the race commentary interesting. Oh, Paul DeResta. Oh, on the one hand, like, yes, he's a really good pundit. On the other hand, he's got to get over the fact that anytime it's something to do with Lewis Hamilton... He just goes off in this weird direction. So as soon as Hamilton overtook Bottas, he went on a like a two minute rant about how Bottas didn't have the. It wasn't. It's not fair. Bottas didn't get to pit at the right team and all that. Oh, dude, dude. And every time Hamilton's on screen, Duresta's there going, "That thing's on rails. It's the easiest thing in the world. A herring could could race that Formula One car." Like, dude, it's it's fine. Sometimes Hamilton's good because he's been doing it for ages and he's practiced loads sorry rant over <laughs> there's my rant that, that was a brilliant rant and now for our third contender good old dj optam with das ist ein tire eater Ooh, that's a pun do you think there's no suggestion that das had an effect on their tire wear no none whatsoever but it was just like really clever i think in the last race there was a case for it because you know under the safety cars they were keeping their Tires warm, maybe using DAS, and maybe that led to some tire wear. But I don't think, no, not in this one. It's got to be that first one. Who did that? That would be Wish Waiter, a brand new winner of Comment of the Week with Science Ticket. Wow. When Vettel drives on the Southern Hemisphere, he spins in the opposite direction. Comment of the Week. That's really funny. I really like that. You've got, uh, you can put that on your Twitter bio, but you have got eight comments of the week left until you catch up with our reigning champion, which is Christopher Fonseca. Who is, did you realize, Matt, is a nine times winner of Comment of the Week? He's a funny guy. And yeah, to, be, he's funny. to be fair to our current contenders, I don't think quite as many people were playing in the chat <laughs> no, when he was winning all true. those awards. Are you saying that the level of competition in the current of Comment of the Week means that the standard is generally higher than of yesteryear? 
Uh, well, you, you do have a lot more comments to choose from, I will say that. <laughs> All right, and that definitely doesn't also apply to F1 drivers. Don't say that or people get really, really mad at you. Thank you for joining us, uh, people, in the live chat room. Join us on YouTube, search for Missed Apex Podcast on there, or find our Facebook group on Facebook. It's getting awfully fiery in that Facebook group. It's harder and harder to moderate it, but it's a lot of fun. I think we're doing things in the right way there. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. It's a micro payment. Every month, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. You get the satisfaction of knowing you're keeping four wheels on the road for us. And thank you so much to our current patrons as well. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex or MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash tip jar. And then you can specify, you can say, here's five pounds so that Brad can buy a better mirror to compliment himself in. Here's 10 pounds for Carl Power to buy gel to neaten out his beard here's some just for men for matt to maintain that glowing red flow on top of his head and um or here's 20 pounds to spanners for being completely magnificent couldn't think of an insult for me or if you want tangible things in exchange for your money you can go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash buy stuff go check it out loads of items there face masks clocks bags all sorts of stuff People have just started getting them delivered. It's from redbubble.com and everyone seems very happy with what they've got so far. Follow my panel at Matt Trumpets. No, that's what it should be. It's at MattPT55 on Twitter. Follow Kyle at KylePowerF1. Follow Brad Philpot by searching for Brad Philpot, Brad Lee Philpot on all social media platforms. Follow the show at MissedApexF1 and me at SpannersReady or RichardReady on your social media platform of choice. And do please subscribe to the show on your podcatcher and check out what we're doing on YouTube. Until we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. All right, guys, I think we just sneaked in. We did it. We just sneaked in under two hours. Honestly... I, as much as I'm I fight trouble. it, you're in trouble. What with the missus? Probably. I better go and just. Um, are we? Are we clear? Yeah. Well, no, we're not. We're still on the live stream. Everyone knows you're in trouble. Go. It's all right. Just right. I'm just <laughs> going to go and tell her that she. <laughs> we're, we're Sorry, going. you had to wait an extra hour for dinner. <laughs> are you in trouble, Brad? Tell me you're not you in trouble. Can use as the well. restroom. I don't know. No. You can use the restroom. Like, I'm betting that's it. That's really funny. Like guys, like we, the the evolution of the show has meant like the very early on. We've all said to our partners, oh, we're going to go and do this thing and I'll be gone all night. And they're like, what are you, what are you on about? You're going to go on a video chat to, to like 12 people and then be on the thing all night. And, and and it's been interesting, Matt, hasn't it? Like as over the years, certainly our partners have like just given up and gone, fine, whatever. In fact, what did your wife say? It was um, as far as midlife crisis is concerned, she felt like this was getting away with it. <laughs> Yeah, this this is a pretty good for a midlife crisis. This ain't too bad. I think yeah. that was pretty much where she was. You all right, Kyle? You're not in trouble. Yeah, no, it's all good. She's totally cool. It is like an oven upstairs in our, <laughs> in our house. She's been sitting there the whole time. This oh. is like the Nurburgring Grand Prix review all over again. Oh all no! Yes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.